वेलकम टू सिंह टॉक Listen, talkers around the table today discuss the many addiction games. We'll think about addiction and addictive behavior using concepts from neuroscience, psychiatry, philosophy, and economics. Are all of us equally vulnerable to addiction? What's the difference between addiction and dependence? Is the label of an addict objective? what is a hardcore addict's relationship with the body what is the phenomenological experience of being drugged is addictive behavior incentive prize context and not so personality dependent what then is not addictive why does relapse occur and can understanding of addiction lead us to something deeper in the long run We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Harold Kincaid, who teaches behavioral economics at the University of Cape Town, and is interested in philosophy of science and has done some addiction research. Professor Shubhangi Parker, who is a clinician and professor in Department of Psychiatry at KAM Hospital in Mumbai. and has been doing biological and social research in areas of addiction and Dr. Kanthi Saran who teaches philosophy at Ashoka University in Delhi and is interested in philosophy of mind Harold, why don't we set the ball rolling with you um, to understand what addiction is? When does one cross that threshold from just liking something to dependence into addiction? And uh, what are we not addicted to, and why? Um, just those bundle of questions, and we'll just take it from there. Um, okay, um, interesting question. Um, I tend to think of sort of the crossing the line, and there's a you know a big debate about whether there's actually a line to be mm-hmm. crossed, and whether addiction really is a continuous phenomena um, mm-hmm. that shows up in different ways and different intensities. But um, for me, I tend to look at individuals who um, have um, lost control. And indicated by um, loss control is a hard thing to pin down in the abstract, but I tend to look at individuals who, for example, will make repeated attempts to stop using some substance or, or perhaps some activity mm-hmm. um, at perhaps real cost to themselves in terms of spending their own resources trying to st- stop doing an activity, and but repeatedly fail. Um, To me, that's kind of an operational picture of when someone's crossed the line uh, into addiction. So, an important characteristic is the person himself or herself trying to stop that same behavior. Yes. Hmm. Um, to me, that's the clearest sign. So, there is an awareness of of the thing, of the phenomenon. Yes, a, a definite awareness that um, um, they want to stop. That um, it's worth putting forth real effort to stop, mm-hmm. so that they. Th- 
think there's a payoff to stopping, mm-hmm. that they'll be better off if they stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, expend considerable effort, but are unable to, to succeed. Um, and you would use the term addiction in a general way, uh, extending it beyond psychoactive substances, going into even areas like gambling and others. What are we not addicted to? Um, or why are we addicted to what we're addicted to? Well, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm certainly think there's some good evidence to think that gambling uh, can be addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, you have individuals who want to stop, um, who make uh, effortful attempts to stop, who, who fail, mm-hmm. um, who think they would be better off if they stopped in a, a variety of ways. Um, in gambling, of course, financial financial uh, costs are, are a, a very big um, uh, negative side of, of addiction. Um, I, I think there's neurobiological evidence and behavioral evidence and psychological um, evidence that um, gamblers, for example, who aren't uh, consuming any substance, so there's no substance acting directly on the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, gambling is able to um, activate uh, the similar neural pathways, uh, similar neural pathways. Um, That's very that, interesting. That, that show up in in uh, substance um, addiction. Mm. Um, so I think there's some fairly good evidence for that. Um, so I think it's possible to be addicted without actually consuming something. Um, but it's back to the basic idea of loss of control. So things that we do regularly and and, and that are quite reinforcing and that we like and. Are, important parts of our lives and so on uh, and we're dependent in various ways but it's it's not in a way where um, um, it's something we want to stop sure and, and sure. can't stop sure and we think has bad consequences for us so that's interesting Shubangi does this resonate with you like uh, the this notion of awareness um, of, of you know one hesitates to use the word problem but awareness of the phenomenon does that almost always accompany the life of an addict? Uh, you know, clinically what I feel, mm-hmm. many a times addicts, for example, alcoholics, mm-hmm. are aware. Mm-hmm. You know, they are aware of their drug-seeking behavior. Mm-hmm. They are also aware of the consequence of that. Mm-hmm. They are aware of the you know social and occupational uh, problems they are facing. Mm-hmm. In spite of that, they are not able to uh, give away that behavior or achieve the abstinence. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's the reason why. Why? Yes. Why? Why? See, it is it is just a matter of awareness. It's a kind of uh, information, a technological information. Sure. But what they need is the insight. The deeper understanding uh, uh, of, you know, the reason why they should give away, you know, there is an issue of sense of responsibility. Uh, there will be issue of cultural perspective. There will be issue of need of those who are around. For example, if you take a man who is married mm. and having family, you know, having wife, having children 
and if he is not aware the sense of the responsibility because there is a huge difference between being aware of alcoholic or addictive behavior and being aware of the consequence of that uh, which uh, you know they, they will have on those people who are dependent on them is a extremely important perspective because just being having the knowledge about i am you know alcoholic or i'm addict it doesn't help and and where 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 does this lie does it have to do with the substance or does it have to do with the person or does it lie somewhere in the middle i mean is oh. it entirely dependent on the personal so is it personality dependent or does it just have to do with the nature of tobacco or heroin or cocaine or whatever that might be you know, there are many overlapping factor mm-hmm. it depends on the person who has this drug seeking behavior mm-hmm. it depends upon the so potency th- of the substance so that that but that behavior or that predisposition precedes It does. It does. It does. It does. So some of us are more vulnerable than the others. Yes, some of us are more vulnerable compared to others. Biologically. Biologically. And, and that's that's unqualified, Shubhangi. That that's is unqualified because fifty percent, I would say, hmm. uh, of the addictive behavior are genetically origin originated, and sure. and and it is the whole behavior is depending on that genetical perspective. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Why don't we jump to you, Kranti? I think we're opening a few questions, but you have a few remarks there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I thought I'd jump in with some remarks about the body, but before I get to that, I was just Please. wondering if I could ask Harold a question about the idea of loss of control, which seems central to your characterization of addiction. And I was wondering if you could say a bit about how. the loss of control that we have in addiction differs from the loss of control we have uh in compulsive tics or fiddling or things that people often do often with external objects um that they can't really stop themselves from doing but we somehow we wouldn't say that they're addicted to that and i'm just curious as to what the differences between these two different kinds of phenomenon mm. yes yeah, interesting question not sure i know the answer but um uh, interesting to note that in the um dsm um manual that categorizes um psychiatric disorders psychopathology in the previous version um gambling problem gambling used to be um grouped with the compulsions and it's only only in the latest uh, DSM 5 DSM 5 which just came out a year and a half ago or so mm. uh that it was moved to the substance dependence so um your your question is one that you can see actually probably the profession is struggling ha- with struggling with yeah yeah but i would think that um what um what what where you look for an answer is differences in the kinds of um well i mean multiple differences but um a, a tick or a, um may not have any really harmful consequences um may but not- with addiction there must be some kind of reward circuitry at work so well well if one has a compulsive behavior about fiddling with you know the pen on the table and just not being able to help that i'm mean, sure but um is there something about alcohol or heroin or cocaine or drugs in general where the reward circuitry is a lot more pronounced than what it would be in the case of some of these some relatively more harmless 
directing your attention to the rest of the body, you might then have a more balanced relationship to all the sensations as opposed to just a, does that does a that work? Um, I think that there is some work that shows that oftentimes people are firstly mistaken about their sensations. Mm -hmm. So people who tend towards obesity often confuse thirst for hunger. Mm -hmm. But that's a little different from what I'm talking about, which is really directing your attention throughout your body. And and um, I, what is nowadays often but is called mindfulness. But how does it do that if there's some sort of loss of control as, as, as we've been talking? Is it is it as straightforward as just uh, taking your attention elsewhere? I think, well, the idea isn't just that you take your attention elsewhere, but also the quality of the attention that you take is different. It's not, uh, it, you try and maintain a kind of equanimity in that attention. Mm -hmm. So rather than having a pleasurable sensation and immediately saying, ah, I want more of that, mm -hmm. or having some painful sensation and saying, oh, I absolutely don't want that, uh, just maintain a kind of stability and just observe whatever sensations are occurring at that time, at that place. Does this resonate with you, Shubhangi? Uh, oh, uh, I think Kr what Kranti is saying perhaps uh, is coming from a very uh, important uh, uh, practice and what he's talking because I am aware of Vipassana where the sensation, the bodily sensation and experiencing this sensation mm -hmm. perhaps give a good calmity and it, it does take away uh, all your attention from all those distractions, maybe the pain, maybe the pleasure or whatever, you know, to those sensations and what he's talking about the equanimity uh, of the mind. But I'm not aware how it is being used uh, uh, in in cases of the addictive behavior. Sure. Okay. But I'm aware of this particular philosophy. Yes. Sure. And the thought is, I mean, I think the connection with addiction is that addiction involves, this is, I'm not saying that it is exhausted by, but it involves the desire for a certain kind of sensation. Mm -hmm. But if you can establish a certain kind of reflective distance between you and particular kinds of sensations, then they won't have the kind of grip on your motivation and behavior as they might have had before. And so you can introduce a kind of gap between the having of the sensation and the behavior that immediately follows. Interesting. I think that what precedes the urge, what precedes the craving... What precedes the craving? What happens before you? I mean, is there some kind of a cycle? I mean, do you, is there a dysphoria, euphoria kind of cycle? Yes. I mean, uh, see, the once the people. Uh, with the addictive behavior after the initial phase of novelty seeking or mm -hmm. the sensation seeking they go through the phases of what we call as a tolerance mm -hmm. where they need the extra amount of the substance or that chemical to get the same effect right eventually they also get into withdrawal where the neurotransmitter dependence has developed okay if they don't take that particular chemical substance it's like a fish without water <laughs> you know? and and mm. that is craving mm. okay remember that when the drug is being taken any chemical is being taken the whole function or the neurochemical mechanism of the brain start adapting to that 
ओके एंड दैट पर्टिकुलर ब्रेन मैकेनिज्म व्हेन दे गिव अवे द ड्रग एडिक्टिव बिहेवियर यू नो स्टार्ट देन रिप्रेजेंटिंग इन टर्म्स ऑफ द विड्रॉल सिम्टम एंड क्रेविंग इज अ पार्ट ऑफ दैट विड्रॉल एंड हाउ ग्रेजुअल इज दिस सो इफ आई इफ आई टेक ड्रग्स जस्ट नाउ आई मीन डज इट टेक मी मंथ्स वीक्स डेज आवर्स एंड हाउ हाउ क्विकली डज डज दिस हैपन इट इट डिपेंड्स ऑन द जेनेटिक a vulnerability of a person sure. like some people probably get hooked on quickly mm-hmm. some people would take time but it also depends on the substance for example heroin mm. cocaine these are very strong substances their potential to develop the drug addictive behavior is pretty high i mean if you compare it with alcohol or if you compare with the cannabis mm. these are very uh, dangerous what we would say patient that these are the dangerous drug you know basically because <laughs> they would really develop uh, dependence pretty quickly interesting yeah. interesting and and harold if we ask a different question here does the price of the drug matter like if 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 a certain drug is cheaper or more expensive than the others i mean is there evidence to suggest to show that it's more widely used or consumed than otherwise um interesting question um to answer it i should probably throw out something that um we've thought about the people i do research with mm. which is back to this question i i raised a, a bit earlier about whether addiction is something that you want to th- think might be um continuously distributed in various ways the pe- people show some addictive type sure. behavior but it's not full blown addiction mm-hmm. and um i'm thinking about um people that we pathological gamblers that we've looked at um i think sometimes people get labeled addicts who are uh, a bit different that there there may be um a hardcore of people who really have a serious addiction mm-hmm. um um and that other people who have real problems um but the the, the biggest part of the situation for them is the is the problems and um who um those people who are more likely to have spontaneous remission and there certainly is spontaneous remission among people who are labeled and when you say addicts. other problems had what do you mean you mean the socio economic sorts yes. uh, the sure things of that sort yeah. so so i mean so, so um standard definitions of addiction will have a, a loss of control component yeah and then they will have some social harm components. Yeah. And um both of those things are are factored in and, and people get labeled addicts and they may be may be most more on the social harm side or more on the loss of control side. Um so the cases can't all be uh treated the same. Actually, I've forgotten what your original question was now. Yeah, the question is that what about the price? The price back, of the oh, price. back to back to price. Well, Uh, there's lots of evidence that people who, who get labeled as addicts yep. are price sensitive. Are uh, price sensitive? Yeah. Well, smokers and, and the, you know, right, raise tobacco taxes and you reduce smoking. So tobacco been, tax works. Oh, it definitely works. It's 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 the main factor, and it's been hugely successful raising taxes. And um, but what but, happens but, if you've fallen into if, if one is in the zone of novelty seeking or there's this behavior, then do you just jump to the next substance? choose the next thing what happens uh, i i would say they do 
basically but it is economical factor is very important uh, for us clinically why i will tell you you know when there is a money uh, for example even if you take the alcoholic it's a high brand okay it's a good quality and eventually as the uh, economy goes down many of people start going to what we call as a very crude alcohol sure. and which is a risk <laughs> i i think we have faced this problem in this city pretty often because the crude alcohol it is cheap it is available and people taking and remember that it affects health yeah it it does i mean addictive behavior is a Uh, issue with the health but when the economy goes down when the people probably go towards the uh, threshold of that poverty i mean there's a physiological manifestation to the of course absolutely. it's not just it's not just psychological absolutely and and, mm. and that's what we are worried about because you know the change of the substance and and then going down uh, uh, you know and using those uh, not, not so good substances and it's it's all uh, going to become very difficult issue even in the brown sugar if, if, we, if we see the main lining mm-hmm. you know eventually when they have money they use their own syringes but <laughs> when the, there is you know there is no money these are the people then start sharing uh, syringes and remember that uh, uh, this is just like hiv yeah. or hepatitis it becomes a you know the story because of this compromised economy in the addictive behaviors interesting yeah i mean i should add um i mean i think there's fair amount of evidence that um addicts are price sensitive now mm. whether the, the really hardcore group Mm. the ones who made repeated attempts and so on mm. um how price sensitive they are i think that's an open question mm. but but there are various treatment programs that that work by financial incentives and um they have some efficacy i think um financial incentives as in you get paid for yes yes for being clean um, wow yes <laughs> and it's interesting to think about addiction in that sense compared to uh other mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know of, I think the Chinese have tried this in the past but mm-hmm. uh I don't know of any good evidence that um financial rewards um will have an effect on somebody who is full-blown schizophrenic um or manic <laughs> depressive, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get them to stop the behavior by paying them. Right. Um and to me that's a real sign of a mental illness. But addictions perhaps different i mean addicts you know may be price sensitive in the sense that they respond to financial rewards and they actually cut back consumption when the price goes up so you know and um, and and when one analyzes it or things about it from on a socioeconomic spectrum if you're relatively well off have steady source of income are you less likely to be addictive or that's too simplistic Um oh that's a good que- that's a great question. Uh, I mean what, what we find in South Africa when we look at people with gambling problems it's it's the poor who have problems. Mhm. Um uh, particularly unemployed with lots of time on their hands and um a life without much novelty in it. Uh, so novelty seeking is not surprising. Um but then the, it goes back to the the complication that, as I said earlier with part of the way we define um addiction involves both the loss of control elements and then these other elements about the uh, the activity having harmful consequences and if you're yeah. poor and you're gambling away money the consequences are much higher yeah um for you than for somebody 
you know, who, who's got plenty of money and goes to the casino, and perhaps that person is out of control in the same way, but they... The multiplier effect is lesser. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in some ways, in some ways. And, and, yeah. I just wanted to ask Shubhangi whether in your clinical work you see evidence for this idea that addiction is a response to a certain kind of psychological pain that people indulge in addictions as a way of dealing with or masking psychological pain. Uh, it it is definitely there basically because we do have the psychological uh, understanding in terms of the tension reduction i would see uh, tell you the people who are working uh, you know in the um, nalas remember that in a uh, corporation yeah. we have lot of uh, people who are working in the nalas now they get into the belief before even entering in their work that unless and until they drink alcohol they will not be able to work there Yeah. So here the potential alcoholic gets ready even before he gets into the job because he <laughs> believes in that. Yes. Yeah. And then of course, uh, uh, corporate sector, uh, the smoking, uh, you know, or the alcohol as a tension reduction phenomena, or you know, in self medication for the anxiety, the depression. you know which is very very important perspective because in addictive behavior it's not just the addiction as defined by the drug seeking behavior or the compulsive drug seeking behavior but we have to go one step behind and find out are there comorbid mental illnesses and especially depression which is mm. a very important perspective i would say because you know the alcoholics becomes alcoholic for years 10 years and something which is missed eventually is people just addressing the addictive behavior but not addressing the comorbid depressive illness so at times even the schizophrenia so shubhangi is there a possibility that one can avoid severe depression by just taking to drugs yes they do that it is a yeah. self medication in simple words yeah it is So and you, and you can avoid severe depression to some extent. Absolutely, by, absolutely, by, because you know you start treating, and uh, as the person start coming out of the depression, the coping styles, the dealing with the stress, everything improves. The self esteem improves. Right. Okay, right. and this is a very important perspective because uh, that's the way the depressive, especially uh, there is a gender issue there. You mm. know, the male with the depression will resort to addictive behavior a lot more than women. Yeah, it's socially somewhat more acceptable Addict. to be a male addict than to be a female addict. Absolutely, in, in yes. several societies. I, I think what you were saying about this comorbidity issue is very interesting because it looks like then the addiction, the addictive behavior, seems quite rational because yeah. it's a it's a successful strategy for dealing with this other worse thing, and um, that. casts the idea of addiction as a certain kind of loss of control in an interesting new light because yeah you know you are rash i mean it seems quite rational to engage in the it's addiction even move. if even if there's move. a certain kind of control you're giving up at at some level um and perhaps this is not so harmful in the case of those who are not what harold called hardcore addicts um but i can see how in, in for for the hardcore addicts it, might lead to um very destructive consequences but, and uh, but that's usually not the way we think of addiction i mean yeah, usually yeah. we think that there's something deeply irrational 
in, yeah. in addiction. Yeah. But the comorbidity point that you've raised shows that in fact there's a there can be a, a fairly rational aspect to addiction. Yeah, I mean, rationalization is one of the strong defense mechanism. Most of the addict report. I mean, they will just tell the social stressors or, you know, like for example, I mean, simple example, most of the nagging wife, that's why I drink alcohol, you know. So I think the rationalization is a huge defense, as you say rightly. But it's very important from the health uh, seeking that we have to identify the comorbid uh, mental illnesses, which is very important. I mean, you can't treat addiction in the one capsule, okay? It's a capsule made up of underlying psychopathology, which is very important perspective. Tell me, Shubhangi, what do the addicts think of each other? I mean, are they good friends with each other? How does oh. it go? Or you know what I mean and you know where I'm coming from. Yes. Uh, remember that, I mean, it's, it's not a very uh, cohesive community, yeah, I would sure, say. Sure. I, I, I think if, if you see alcoholics, you, mm. if you see uh, brown sugar addicts, you, you know, we very often uh, find that they don't like each other. You know, the brown sugar addict feel that uh, the person is really insane, alcoholic. You know, the behavior is uncontrollable and uh, no social uh, kind of commitments, you know. While alcoholics, they label uh, brown sugar addicts or heroin addicts as criminals. Does that and make sense to you, Harold? Hmm. Because uh, there's an intersubjective side to this whole thing, right? Almost the. Does that make sense to you? Like, what what rationally should an addict think of another? And I know it's not like there's a club for addicts. It's not easy to go here with them. Well, gosh, I'm not sure I have a general view on that, but gambling may be a bit uh, different in this regard. It's frequently... Mm. It's more... You, 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 you frequently gambling... You gamble with others. With others, against others, right? So yeah. some yeah. forms of gambling are inherently sort of a social sort of process. Yeah. And um, That's very interesting. Um, and, and smoking is even more social because you don't smoke against other people, you smoke with other people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yeah. there, there really is this... And, and, and with smoking, people really identify with fellow smokers in a yeah. way that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why don't we pick up smoking for a second? Uh, nicotine. Um, is it just a gateway drug? I mean, do you... Would one be addicted to something else if one were not addicted to... I mean, why why are cigarettes so, so, so popular? That's because it is acceptable, you know. I mean, very often if you see uh, most of the people and if you see media, if you see most of the people, uh, uh, I, I think the very famous uh, uh, hero of the Hindi movie will always give the good dialogue with the uh, cigarette in one hand. And remember, it is easily available. It mm -hmm. can be shared and... Smoking generally, you know, is a very important uh, gateway for the young children. Mm. Okay, because what happens, they, they can practice, there is a novelty seeking, they can share with the group, okay. And then with that, addictive behavior starts becoming the issue. To begin with, it is smoking is a, is a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug, what we, we have seen in clinically. Interesting, interesting. And let's talk about the body, Kranti. I'm very yeah. interested to get to that question. Uh, Actually, just... Does, is there something interesting there about the nature of the body itself? Well, um, I mean, 
there are always interesting things about the the nature sure. of the I mean just in the physiological changes that you yeah. experience um but you know since you raised this issue of smoking and I've recently restarted and then quit smoking I I was at a friend's birthday party a, a few months ago where he handed me a cigarette which I haven't touched in in a very long time and I had it and i enjoyed it thoroughly and i started smoking again for a period and then i stopped but one of the things that struck me in this period was a kind of forgetting that happens with addiction firstly when i started having the cigarette i realized i had forgotten how pleasurable it was to have a cigarette but when i quit i also realized that i had forgotten the pleasure of not smoking of not having your of smelling of cigarette smoke and and having your hands smell of it and uh the feeling in my body the feeling in my lungs of not smoking and i was i'm just curious as what what Wh- the other why, symptom, what, why does relapse happen yeah and i'm i'm actually wondering whether in this puzzle of um spontaneous remissions that that uh, that Harold talked about you know we don't understand why people spontaneously uh, uh, get over some of their addictions I, I i mean i'm just i'm just throwing this out there but i wonder if if somewhere there's some memory no, of question. some memory of what it was like to have your body properly functioning hmm. uh, uh that that becomes operative at some level um this is purely speculative but hmm. why does relapse happen harold uh, Well, I I I don't want to claim I know, but um I mean there are obviously various social factors um so the environment has a role uh, to play. Right. New str- stresses show up that that weren't there previously. Mm-hmm. So, um maybe you've um um stopped use or or cut a cut back and and t- to minimal levels. Uh but and maybe that process involved um you know the, pro- the thing about addictive drugs is they tend to crowd out everything else yep and you know other th- rewarding activities go away and the drug um becomes um the the only source of satisfaction and so um changes in your environment or changes in coping styles that allow you then to be um to you know diversify the, the range of things that that's interesting that, yeah, that um bring you satisfaction and then you have environmental changes such that you know that support structure goes away that that may well be part of the story for sure and and in this context uh, just in terms of strategy of how to go at it is harm reduction a better strategy or uh, you well, try to eliminate and or does it work differently in different cases well that you know that's that's a big controversy i think within the among people who treat addiction and and study addiction um and you know um i would be inclined to think that it, for different in- individuals different strategies may be better right mm-hmm. um it may be you know alcoholics anonymous may well have uh, hit upon something that for certain su- subset of individuals there's just no harm reduction possible um mm. um mm. Mm-hmm. and but it may be for other people people get labeled as as addicts but who are more on the so, the social problems and then the loss of control in right uh loss right. of control i mean um 
harm reduction might be a more reasonable strategy, right? I mean, in the United States, and I can't imagine this phenomenon doesn't show up in uh, elsewhere in the world, it's quite typical for 18 to 22-year-olds um, to consume lots of alcohol and in quantities yeah. that would count as addiction, you know, yeah. In, in a way, but, <laughs> but they typically get typically get over it, right? And back back to maybe they still consume, but to safe levels and so on. So um, interesting. So our tolerance levels are different. Uh, there, there could be people, as Harold pointed out, who consume inordinate amounts of the substance, and they're relatively fine compared to others. And does that resonate with you, this entire notion yes. of elimination versus harm reduction? See, ideally, it should not be a drug addiction at all. You know, the abstinence will be a very idealistic goal yeah. for anybody who is interested, you know, in intervening with the addictive behavior. But here we have to understand that there is a, some sort of uh, uh, problem, you know, uh, uh, individual problem or personality problem or emotional vulnerability. Like I know uh, addicts, you know, who have after 10 years of the abstinence, you know, with severe life social events like losing somebody who is dear or the debt, you know, they have got into that deep that critical dip in terms of uh, uh, their coping style. So mm. it is always a matter of the high-risk situation at one end and the coping strategy the person has at another end. You know, and then, you know, how much support you have, basically, because suddenly those all those cues dealing with yourself, you know, in the uh, stressful situation comes back. And addictive behavior is one of that. Like what uh, Kranti said, that he was in that atmosphere, the frame offered uh, but that was in the pleasure seeking it is even more worse when one is in the critical condition or in the uh, uh, you know the conditions where you have lost a lot in the life and then that helplessness then that dysphoria you know probably compel a person to go back to those cues which gave uh, pleasure years back okay so this is a very very sensitive issue and we have to really erase you know, this addictive behavior when the lapse take place. We shouldn't even wait for the relapse. Mm, mm, mm. And, and you know, in, when you're in that zone phenomenologically, when you're a hardcore addict, is there memory of that experience at all? Because there has to be some memory of that experience, this, but yes. because that's why you seek it again and again. Um, but are there phases of it that you just don't remember? Is it is it... Almost no, like a we, dream. We have to understand, you know, with almost all the factors of genetic vulnerability, social, uh, environmental factor, the basic to that is a learning model. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the conditioned learning, apparent re- learning, you know, where your pleasure-seeking uh, behavior is dependent on your drug-taking behavior, is always alive. So that's the reason why we always call addictive behavior as a lifelong. Uh, problem okay I mean if you give up and five years later you said I'm free of addictive behavior no it won't it's like it's like a it's like a commitment throughout the life so anytime you know these models of the learning will start operating you know and that's what we have to understand the whole learning procedure is a very much a part of the pathology in development of the addictive behavior Interesting. That that sounds tough. It is tough. It is tough. It, it must be tough for somebody who 
is genetically predisposed. Yes. Has threshold levels which are not so high. Absolutely. And enjoys doing heroin. Yes. So it's not easy. Yes. It's certainly not easy. It's very challenging. It's not easy because... Um, hmm. Do you empathize with your patients at all? I do. I do. You I do? do? I do. Because eventually, you know, if you keep that uh, whole uh, associated behavior, which may be even hardcore criminality or whatever, ultimately you start seeing a helpless person, you know, who probably is struggling, you know, but is not able to give up. And that's where we have to really empathize with the patient. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and yes, Kanti. I just wanted to pick up on something that both... Harold and Shubhangi have mentioned. Yeah. Um, Harold talked about how addiction crowds out other behaviors. Other pleasure-seeking Yeah, behaviors. yeah. And yeah. Shubhangi also talked about uh, the ways in which um, addiction can take over someone's life. But it seems that there's this very important aspect of uh, addiction which involves a skewing of value, Right what has value in the state when one is not addicted and what has value yep. in the state when one is addicted, those look very different. Yep. And there's a kind of potentially very damaging skewing of what has value in the world. And this is connected with, with what you were talking about also, Shubhangi. Um, and I think that that's also very interesting because there's a, a, um, a deep change in someone's ethical vision um, as they go deeper in the grip of an addiction, as what they will see as being a, a, a behavior that is valuable to do, who they see as valuable at all, what actions they think yeah. are valuable. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder um, whether any kind of reflection on that, or as, as you, as Shubhangi, you were saying earlier, it's not good enough to know that you are an addict, but you have to also recognize the consequences of your actions on other people and that is a kind of moral knowledge that that you have to have um but you can't be reflecting on your addiction alone like you have to be a reflective sort of a person even generally uh, i mean it, it, it would you agree like i Sure, I mean, I'm all of us so are sure. reflective to some extent yeah. or the other, sure. Yeah, uh, sure, I, I, I'm not so sure how to answer that question, but I, I, I was just um, wondering where, whether, say, in your clinical practice, Shubhangi, whether this aspect of getting people to reflect on the consequences of their behavior um, is an important part of of the way out of addiction or not. And, and it, it seems that it would be given there's the skewing of, of ethical vision that happens in addiction. But it looks like they're aware already. Yeah, it is, it is, it is a very important uh, consideration and or concern you have got in uh, Kranti, basically because, see, morality mm. and the sense of the responsibility mm. that we see is fired in a very, uh, you know, chronic, 
uh, addictive behavior mm-hmm. for example uh, alcoholic who knows that you know he's not giving a penny at home while mm. he's responsible for his children for mm. his wife and uh, he he he's not realizing that and here comes the whole perspective of the moral values uh, in terms of existing in this society okay and and that definitely is fired that definitely is fired so to get that back it really is a lot of effort because that uh, of course need lot of family support that also needs a lot of uh, commitment from the clinician uh, remember that see to get this back in the first place we have to get back that addict you know at some level from the detoxification to the acceptable limits of understanding because they don't have insight when when they are hardcore addicts and that's so when you when you trying to treat a case within courts can you just substitute one drug for the other uh, we, we we do like to do that i mean uh, it's it's a very honest uh, thing because for example if it is heroin mm. you know we would like to get methadone in mm. now why do we do that their mm. whole concept of the harm reduction come because see it, it sounds uh, pretty uh, unethical mm. but here when you are giving something legalized mm. the, all those complications which are coming mm. like you know you you are lo- lost the job you are not responsible family you are in antisocial uh, problems you know the criminality is there all that then starts coming mm. so it's 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 a whole issue of minimizing the harm minimizing the harm to and, the individual and, and it works substitution it, it works. therapy it, works it works it works it works i mean we we have uh, rolled over methadone program for last two years and we have found it works i mean even the hardcore addicts you know coming regularly and then when it, it it's when family see the change in the behavior the whole family also is coming together yep. then yes this yeah. is very important the you know the reduction of the non acceptance by the society also starts reducing so it 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 works it works and let me let me go to a very different place we've been talking of pleasure seeking time and again it could be exactly the opposite as well i mean is it possible that you have like that one is a sadist and one seeks pain as opposed to pleasure and is that exactly the same mechanism just just turned on its head yes i mean uh, this is also we have seen because see addictive behavior you really can't uh, frame in the one kind of model mm-hmm. okay in the personality we have seen the people who pricks and they see the bleeding uh, you know they feel good and they feel suddenly the tension relief they they there are many uh, patients which report that and and and, and it, so, it, so pain relieves tension yes absolutely they they like to do that they they just they just do that and you don't find that weird it it genuinely happens it is genuinely happening it is genuinely happening Though are, that are, could are be there, a form of pleasure seeking right because yes, they are, they because, are yeah, just they, they, substituting it, just a smaller pain for a bigger pain yeah harold other other gamblers who are addicted to losing who would like to lose and um what what so when one is addicted to gambling what is one addicted to yeah I, you know what I, i mean yeah i don't think it's addicted to winning i think it's the the unexpected the surprise element of mm-hmm. what's going to happen it's the up and down um it's n- It's so the, does a hardcore addict hate it if he keeps winning all the time? Uh, sure. Um yeah, I mean, um I think there's there's probably pretty good evidence if 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 the games were set up such that you always won, no um uh, there there's none of that surprise about what's happening is there and, that, and it's the unexpected 
uh, in a way, it's a form of novelty seeking, right? Quite yeah. special kind of. Um, so random reinforcement um, is a very powerful sort of uh, mechanism. And um, no, um, I think if you set up the slot machine so people constantly won, people would go there for economic reasons, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> then we'd all but, be gamblers. <laughs> we'd all be gamblers, but um, but that that wouldn't be getting at the addiction. So um. yeah, I mean, they might be some very skillful gamblers, but it looks like they would do it for economic reasons rather than you wouldn't label it addiction. It's interesting. And within the world of addiction itself, how complex is that world? Are all like so? So gambling. What do you gamble on? You just gamble on random games and other. How complex is that world? The world of gambling. Do oh, yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, games of skill um, tend not Because to be yeah. tend not to be so addictive. Um, um, it's the back to the random reinforcement, the unexpected, the surprise. So slot machines are seem to be really powerful in that in that respect. There's um, there's a video of a uh, robbery in, in a casino in, in Las Vegas. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the, you know, the security camera catches the robbery and um, the robbers are having, telling everybody to lay down on the ground and to pass their wallets. And in the corner of the video, you can see one guy at the slot machine who's laying on the ground, but he's still got his hand on the slot machine <laughs> <laughs> continuing to play. <laughs> um And so it definitely varies by activity, and then there are reasons, I think, connected with the level of surprise and the random reinforcement. Um, that, why that that's the case. Um, and was this a surprise at all when some of you, all of you, figured out a few decades ago that gambling was addictive? That one could be addicted to something that one was that one was not ingesting or consuming. Yeah, anyway. I, I, actually, I think that's fairly recent. The idea that you can be addicted to something without a, a substance being present is quite a novel idea. Um, and you know, some of the people I work with argue that in fact, gambling addiction then is really the purest form of addiction because it's just the yes. reward system in the brain yeah. that's being manipulated. Uh, Without the substance, so um, it shows that there's that, in some, at least for some people, an inherent ability of the, of the reward system to. You can just turn it on and off, yes. more or less. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. What's the future? What's the very long-term future of this? What is it that one is not believed as being addicted to, but um, what could we be addicted to five hundred years later? I'm not sure about specific things that we sure. could be addicted to, but um, but I want to just stick my neck out and yeah. and propose that that uh, in response to a question that Harold asked earlier, whether in fact addictions lie on a spectrum mm -hmm. or whether there are serious discontinuities, mm -hmm. such that the kind of that you are as a Hardcore addict is just different. I mean, there's a difference in kind. Um, I, I'm, I suspect that isn't that. In fact, the that that there really is a continuous spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, the spectrum might be very very broad. In which case, somebody who's at one extreme end of the spectrum really is going to look radically different than the one person at the other end of the spectrum. And um, I think that our concept of addiction is going to expand. We've already seen how it's expanded from 
addiction to chemical substances, to things like gambling, which are not any kind of substance at all. But I think that it doesn't seem completely unreasonable to me that uh, we can see that some people are addicted to certain kinds of emotions, certain kinds of responses, um, and engage in behaviors to get those in, in ways that can be very, very destructive. So both the kind of social cost aspect and the harm aspect um, and just th this kind of physiological. Interesting. Um, so that's where, uh, th that's my sort of long-term view on, on what addiction, and I think it's all going to be related ultimately to the body. Shubangi, what's the rarest form of addiction that you've seen? I think lots of lots of us or lots of people are addicted to heroin and cannabis. That's fine. But is it is it possible to have a very unique form of addiction? Because, I mean, I think Harold spoke about this pure form of addiction in gambling. So it just looks I, like... I, I have seen a couple of patients, rather, you know, who use the snake. And the snake poisoning, you know. Uh, snake poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the uh, something which uh, uh, was really mind-boggling even for us. But it's not one or two. I mean, in last few uh, years, I have seen at least ten to twelve patients who have get that snake bite. You know, and, and does uh, it work? Like, is, is there something does, about the snake they, venom they, that they do get high? They do get high. You know, see, there is a risk of mortality is definitely there. But these are the people, they, they do get high. And they were brought by their relatives. And uh, they, they, the follow-up was very poor. I mean, they went back there. <laughs> Shubhangi, I have a question. How did they find out that this would make them high? I mean, how do you... Like, how with you, smoking, you, you, you see yeah. other people smoking and you... You there must have that. been one innovator some some somewhere. But that's that's a, that's an extremely subjective experience because you know it, it, it sounds so scary you know uh, and, and there are people who generally give that dose of the snake poisoning. I mean they go there. Okay, so also there are there are administers that there you, are administers also. There excellent. are administers also. So there's a market here for you. Yeah. Oh, I see. So it's 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 not like they are going out and. No, there is a it's not entirely so, right, bespoke. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> it's not entirely bespoke. I mean, there is some sort of market mechanism at work. Yes. What's the very long-term future, uh, Shubhangi? Uh, I, I what think... could one be addicted to, and maybe what is not the right word? Uh, what's the very long-term future of addiction? See, uh, in the area of the chemical developments, mm -hmm. we really can't say which will be the next um, uh, trend. You so know? there are synthetic drugs. And there are synthetic drugs which are coming. I mean, uh, if if uh, uh, anxiolytics are the, uh, you know, addictive substances, so there are synthetic drugs which are coming. I mean, recently whole Delhi or all the metropolis had the meth in the picture. Meow, so we meow. don't Yes, meow, meow. Yeah. So which drugs will come? But so far... So who innovates these? Who comes up with meow, meow? Uh, I, I think the, there are people who are smarter than uh, <laughs> all of us and uh, mm. there are different trains which are working. So I suppose so far we are with our brains. Mm -hmm. The addictive behavior will remain and there will be newer and newer substances will keep coming. I mean, if, if, if we see in last 20 years, the growth of the uh, substances in the market is so fast. Interesting. What's the future, Harold? Well, if, if I mean, is it possible that there's a future where there's no addiction whatsoever? 
Well, I mean, I think the research has got to show, um, as has already been said, that there's a large... I don't know how you measure... Measuring large in terms of, of genetic influence is fraught with problems, um, but mm. there's certainly a genetic component. Um, we know that there, there's something about the reward system such that it... it so, so long as we have the current human genome pool... Yeah, barring major changes in, in, in neuro, neurobiology and genetic human genetics, it, it's always, potential is always going to be there. And then so... Um, it's, um, yeah. And and have have there been longitudinal studies of large population groups and is addiction growing, falling? What's the trend? Oh, that's um, I've been. Was, I, and yeah, I, I, I don't actually feel qualified to um, sure to, to say anything definitive. Though I would certainly think I would not accessibility ask that question of Shubangi because I'm sure more yeah. patients coming to you today than yeah. ten years ago. But you know, there's. There's a filter there. I mean, you, you, you're you sitting there for those sorts of patients. Obviously, they'll turn up in front of you. <laughs> Interesting. So what's the future? It it will stay. Addiction. Yeah, I think it's a social question and, and we're trying to predict what society's going to do. I mean, you know, there, there are no alcoholics. and If there's no alcohol, right, you don't have a happy hour gene that man, manufactures martinis for you. So... Um, I think the potential is is built into us, and then access, um, and the, the general social environment, and, and all those factors that have a make a big difference. Um, so, and are there are there societies, countries, groups where, let's say, cigarettes are totally banned, alcohols are totally banned, and they are just configured differently? I, no, because invariably, when you ban some of these things, um, mm. an illicit market develops pretty soon. Right. I mean, does does banning anything work at all? No, it doesn't. I think Gujarat is the best example of that. I, uh, illicit market strongly develops the more criminality, more, uh, you know, uh, different... No, but ways. the question, Shubhangi, is that let's say the size of that market today is X. And mm-hmm. had, it, had it not been banned, would it have been more than X or less than X? You know what I mean? Sure, there's an illicit market, but it may be like 10% of what... It would have been otherwise in a, in a market which is free market access for whatever it is, alcohols or drugs or so on. Though I think just on that question, I mean, mm. um, you know, the rate of, say, alcohol consumption mm. varies tremendously by by country. Mm. But even with by state in mm. India, mm. it varies tremendously. Mm. Um, someone I went to school with is in the IAS and works as a... a, a, a liquor excise uh it's, it's a great and, and source of tax right so but the but the amount of tax that different states get from alcohol varies tremendously in india and it would be a very interesting question to see what are the social and cultural factors at play in different states that make alcohol more or less acceptable it's very interesting i think you know there is this entire notion of sin tax and you tax these sort of things, but it's a great source of income for most states or state, um, in a sense, more generally used. And it sort of goes back to what Harold was saying, uh, which is that, you know, regardless of what our individual genetic vulnerabilities may be, the fact is that any genetic predisposition to manifest needs a certain kind of environment, and right? Access, it's like yes. it's like iron has the disposition to rust, but if it's never put 
anywhere near moisture, it's not going to rust. Yeah. <laughs> and that is up to us. I mean, how we structure society in such a way so as to minimize or mitigate great. the manifestation great. of addiction. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great note to end this on. And thanks to all of you for making it. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye.